a very, very crucial section of Scripture. The fullness of God. Chapter 3, verse 14 and following. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant to you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up with all of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, as the Apostle Paul prayed here, I pray also, help us. Help us to not lose heart and be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. Christ's name. Amen. I've been sharing with you that this is the transition, this is the bridge between the first three chapters and the last three chapters. The first three chapters tell us who we are in Christ. What every believer is, what every believer possesses. This bridge that you see here in this is the Apostle Paul praying that you and I would engage it. That we would use the resources that are already ours in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, In the original text, this is five progressive steps that we're dealing with in these verses. Okay, In the Greek, it is they are purpose clauses. This is a purpose for this result. All right. So as you study this, you can't look at it and say, okay, let's do the best out of five. If I get three out of five, I'm in good shape. No, each one builds on itself. If you don't do the first one, you don't have to worry about the fifth one. Okay. You can't do the second one and not do the first one. All right. That's what it means to have a purpose clause. All right. One. You'll be strengthened in the inner man so that you will experience the indwelling Christ so that you'll understand miraculous love so that you will understand infinite fullness so that you'll have internal power. So it builds on itself. And what we're doing right now is step one. The inner man. The inner man. We're looking at the Spirit's power. The Spirit's power in the inner man. Chapter 5, we looked at briefly last week. Verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, for that is dispensation, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. If you're drunk on wine, what is in control of you? All right, and he's contrasting that. Be under the control of what? The Spirit of the living God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. I shared this last week. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay? If the Word of Christ is dwelling in me richly. The word dwell in the Colossians text is the same as Christ dwelling you. You know what that means? It's at home. Christ in you at home. He's at ease in you. Let the word of God be at home in you. That's what Paul is praying. This is how we exercise our spiritual muscle. And you know what? It's it's like I shared last week. 
doctors have got me, I'm supposed to go, they want me to do, well, you need to exercise five days a week. And I was like, you know, there's only seven, right? And you want me to do five? So you just mess up my week. But anyway, and when I first went to the gym, I got on one of those, I, I, I've got bad knees. I, anyway, I just, I tore up my knees when I was young and brilliant. So I get on bicycles. All right, well, no big deal. It's got a little clock on there, 22 minutes. The first time I rode it, 22 minutes, two miles. I thought, ah, buddy, I'm going out for the Tour de France. Okay. Uh, last week I rode 22 minutes. I'm doing 10 miles. Okay. There's no way I'd have done 10 miles that first time. Well, I would have, but it had put me in a helicopter and took me someplace <laughs> and, and put wires and hoses in me. Okay. It, you build up to it. I shared with you who were here last week. I wanted you to take Monday and say, okay, on Monday, this is how much time I spend on the outer man. Okay. And then I had a bunch of people or several people come. Well, but I have to work like eight hours and that takes nine hours. I'm, I'm talking about the outer man. I'm talking about when you get up in the morning. How much time do you get ready for coffee and breakfast and and women, please? Makeup. I hope none of the men are wearing makeup. But anyway, these days, who knows? Um, and and get picking out your clothes and getting ready. And this is what I'm going to do. Then I'm going to take a 15-minute break here. I'm going to eat lunch at this place. That's taking care of the outer man. Figure out how much time you spend on the outer man. Okay, then on Tuesday, I want you to spend the equivalent of that on the inner man. I told you what the inner man was. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Read it. Just read it. I shared yesterday. Just read it. Read the book. Take a book and read it. Well, that's a lot of reading. Philemon. Start with Philemon. Okay? If that's if that's too much for you, dude. Okay, then you'll expand. You can get into Second Peter. Then you can really get good and go to First Peter. I remember when I took over as the pastor here, I was studying the book of First Peter at the time, so I preached on First Peter. I learned a long time ago that anytime I'm going to preach something, if I'm going to deliver this thing, I have got to read this. So what I set myself up to do is that every book that I'm teaching, I read it every day. That book. Okay. Now, sometimes I'll start two or three chapters in the morning, maybe finish up three or four chapters the next time. But I made a fatal mistake. I started off with First Peter. Okay. They said, okay, we want you to take over the pulpit. We're going to just keep you on. I said, all right. So you know what my brilliant idea was? I'll do Matthew. Okay. That's 28 chapters. Yo, Einstein, you're going to read 28 chapters every day? Yeah, I did. <laughs> and I, I can tell you to this day, this is his Perean ministry. This is Galilean ministry. This is his Samaritan ministry. This is his Judean ministry. And I can tell you exactly what's going on. Okay, but I read it every day, and it took me a while to get through it, but I did. Okay? A systematic study of the Bible. You have to read it. Take the amount of time that you work on the outer man and take that same equivalent time and work on the inner man. Okay? And you'll be changed. I guarantee it. Not only will you be changed, it'll probably freak you out. And you know what? Even those of you who were here last week, and I shared that with you, that even... Before yesterday, I have been praying that for all of you. That you would let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Listen, if we don't do that, if we obsess with thinking about ourselves, if we worry about our outer selves, the inner man is on crutches. He's limping. He limps in on Sunday, and Sundays tend to be, I go in and get me a protein shake. 
And then I don't do nothing the rest of the week. And you wonder why by Sunday you feel like you've been hit by a bus. You can't live that way. Let me ask you a question. I'll use the contrast, the inner and the outer man. All right? How would you do if you ate one meal on Sunday and that was it? You'd be very pleasant by Saturday, wouldn't you? And yet, how many Christians will come in and get a protein shake on Sunday morning and then starve the rest of the week? And they wonder, wow, man, it's all falling apart. Yeah, it's because you're trying to do it. When you feed the inner man with the Word of God, what happens The inner man now possesses truth. And that is the place that you and I make our daily decisions from. The medicine tells us that's our frontal lobe. That's where I make my decisions. If I fill my frontal lobe with the Word of God, then what is the basis of my decisions? How is it that when you can make your decisions, your first thought is the Word of God? First thing. I don't care what the decision is. What am I going to wear today? What does the Word of God say? The Spirit has the steering wheel to turn you into God's will. And once you've exercised that, Your will, the place you make decisions, move towards the Holy Spirit, you will be strengthening your spiritual muscle. And it's one step at a time. And sometimes it's not even a step. Sometimes it's just looking and saying, yeah, there's my feet. Boy, I wish something would happen. It's yieldedness. When I yield to the Word of God, that's how I grow. That's how I grow. I share with you guys, uh, uh, the first of June, I always serve the, uh, the first Sunday in June, I always serve the Lord's table. That's when I took the pulpit was the first of June. And so I serve the Lord's table. But I always have time before that that I evaluate, okay, over the last year, have I grown? Have I grown? Listen, so many people I deal with have good theology, and yet they continue to work in the flesh. It's not new. Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What you have begun in the Spirit, you are now perfecting in the flesh? See, it's not a new phenomenon, people. Apostle Paul's praying here for the church, the believers in Ephesus. Why? Because it's easy to have good theology. Jesus writes a letter to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelations, and he says, I know your works. They're amazing. You test false teachers. You hold them accountable. You do everything's right. Your works are multiplying. It's amazing. But guess what? You lost your first love. Why? Because I'm busy. We hear... You guys know I love history. I have so many great men that I just, gosh. I think about Robert Murray McShane. Um, He was the preamble to the Scottish Revival. And I don't know if you know anything about the Scottish Revival. Queen Mary, Bloody Mary, believed that the Catholic Church was the real church. If anybody had a Bible, they should be gutted. And their Bible should be dipped in their bowels so that the blood would send a message to stay away from that book. It's only for holy men. Robert Murray McShane <laughs> said over my dead body. And he preached. 
And I've never seen anybody. Uh, I've not heard him on the radio or anything. <laughs> I've read him. And he died at 27. And the reason it was is that he was up at 4 a.m. every day studying so he could prepare for the day. And he studied the Word day in and day. And they didn't like have heat and weird stuff like that. If you were going to see something in the dark, you had to have a candle and all the rest of it. But he died very young. But he had power. He had power. John Knox is the same way Mary's sister put a contract out on him to kill him. And he fled to Geneva, Switzerland and run into a guy named Martin Luther. And Martin Luther translated the first Bible into the English language for John Knox. And I've seen it. It's a... This sucker's about like this, and it's about like that, and it's about that thick. And it's handwritten by John Calvin. And it was given to John Knox, so he snuck back in uh, in the northern part of Scotland and started preaching again. On the inside of the Bible, in the leaf, 1553 is the date. And it's written by John Knox. I present this in 1553 to Prince James of England. That's the book you and I got the King James from, written by a guy named John Calvin in Geneva, given to a man who was in exile from his own country who was brave enough to, to go back. Charles Spurgeon's church kicked him out, and he went and died after years and years of preaching. He had people coming in from Europe to hear him preach. They didn't believe. But when they heard his oratory skills, they stood in awe of the man's presence. We hear about these preachers. We hear about these amazing teachers. I've sat around. I've sat with some of the greatest ones of this generation when I think about the people that God has actually allowed me to sit with. The great missionaries. Hudson Taylor. You read these guys and you stand in awe. And you know what happens? You come in here on Sunday morning and you get this look on your face. Well, and then there's us. Okay? They're on a different spiritual plane than, than we are. Let me tell you something. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You know, it'd be wonderful to be able to do something like that, but golly, that's kind of beyond me. Let me tell you something. There's no difference between you, any of you, and Robert Murray McShane. You want to get really spooky? There's no difference between any of you and the Apostle Paul. Do you understand that the same battles the Apostle Paul had, you have? You fight with your flesh, you fight with the world, and you fight with satanic forces. What's the difference between you and the Apostle Paul? Same spiritual process Paul went through. You should be going through. Every one of us. God has to start the engine. That's what we're looking at. And usually, for me specifically, He has to give me a swift kick in the butt. To get me to apply some of this. The only difference between what you would classify as an average Christian and Robert Murray McShane or Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones or Charles Spurgeon or John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul or Stephen Olford. The only difference is their yieldedness. Their yieldedness. Listen, brothers and sisters, there's no mystical contact here. It's not a whoo, and I was burning incense and had some candles going. That ain't it. We're all together the same body of Christ. Listen, let me get specific about this. I had to learn how to study. 
Okay? I had to learn it. Listen. All of my life, my educational life, I got by. I did not want to break a sweat at doing this. Okay? I don't care whether it was elementary school. I don't care if it was junior high school. I don't care if it was high, high school. I don't care if it was college. Whatever I was doing, I'm just going to get by. I'm just going to get by. But you know what I learned? I remember sitting down one time with Dr. MacArthur. And you know what I was so thrilled about? He was the same way. It was awesome. He hated to do the same things I hated to do. Why in the world would I want to write a term paper? Why? And that's the way he was. But now he was way more athletic than me. And he, he actually, he went to an NFL camp in his third year of college and he's going to go to the NFL and God says, I, I, I need you to be a preacher. And John said, no, I'm going to go be a pro football player and I can share the gospel and hang John 3.16 at the goalpost. And God turned the car over that he was in, threw him down the asphalt on his backside for about 125 feet. And um, he had to lay this way as the asphalt seeped its way out of his back tissue. And his dad, who was a preacher, says, here, you might as well read this Bible because you can't do anything but lay on your belly. He became a preacher. Okay. He didn't do it that way to me. He woke me up in the hospital after a couple of days in a coma. And the first words that were in my head were, you're not your own. You've been bought for and paid with a price. Okay? But I was stupid enough to say, well, let me be your point, man. I want to be the guy out front. I had no idea what I was saying. So I had to learn to study. Listen, I've told you guys, many of you guys know, I don't like to read. I, if God wanted me to read, why is there a TV? God wanted me to read, why would he give us all this digital iPod, E-pods, and, you know, I remember Walkman's. Why would I read? I mean, you can go get a book now. They say, well, I can get a book on a Kindle. I want the book that sits and talks to me. Because then I don't have to read. And then I can meditate on it. You know, fall asleep while I'm listening to it. I don't like to read. So, all of a sudden I realized that I, I 35 years ago, I've been 37 years ago, I got mad at Christians. I know none of you have ever been mad at Christians, but I've been mad at Christians before. And I decided that I would go find the contradictions that are in the Bible, and I'd beat them ragged when I run into them. So I started reading the Bible. Read it every day. Right motives, huh? I'm going to prove the contradictions in this book. And you know what? Still doing it. Still haven't found any. But by golly, I'm not going to give it up. There's got to be some in there somewhere. But you know what? Even doing that, I still realized I couldn't do it. But then, reading it over and over and over and over and over and over, I woke up one morning and realized that I was walking in the Spirit. And when I hit that, I realized... All I have to do is one step at a time. Put the right foot out, the left one will follow. Put the left foot out, the right one will follow. And then the spiritual muscle slowly, day by day by day, gets stronger and stronger. The power of the Holy Spirit in my will has brought me into yielding to what the King wants of me. I never look at it for what it is, what's in it for me. What do you want me to do? People say, well, what, what do you do? Why do you go to Russia? Why, why did you go to uh, Azerbaijan? Why do you go to these places? I mean, is that your blood? Is that your lineage? No, man. 
I'm Scott. <laughs> I don't know. Huh? Ain't got nothing to do with it. Why? I was asked like in 2000 to help the Russians put a fence of doctrine to protect the church. And I said, I'm in. So I'm doing it as a design. Every place that I've traveled, that's what I'm doing. You go look. What, what are you teaching on? Hermeneutics? Homiletics? What are you teaching? Romans? First Corinthians? The doctrine of salvation? The doctrine of Christ? The doctrine of God? The doctrine of the Holy Spirit? Those kinds of things. I remember when I first started preaching. I was kind of lucky at the beginning because I'd been studying First Peter for a while. And they said, here, and I said, all right, I'll just start with First Peter because that's what I've been wearing my eyes out with. And then as I started moving on and moving on and moving on, I started, I got scared. What happens if I walk in on Sunday morning and I don't know what it means? I just look at everyone and says, oh, I don't know what this is. Uh, so let's, let's play music. That was my greatest fear. What if I walk in and I don't know what it says? The Lord got a hold of me because of His Spirit. And He says, that is not the issue, Terry. The issue is, is it real to you and of you? So you know what? In June, it'll be 25 years as a senior pastor, 37, I think, walking with the king. And all I can tell you is that I enjoy it. Not only do I enjoy it, I hunger for it. But I'd have give anything if it had been instantaneous. If I'd have just woke up one, bing, I'm ready. But it wasn't. Exercising our will to be obedient to the Spirit of God, that will strengthen the inner man. And that is the Spirit's power. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. His power, it becomes easier to yield every step you take in that walk. And you'll know your area of ministry. I see a lot of people think, well, I want to go fill in the blank. But what I've realized is they have the heart to do it. They don't have the energy because the energy has to come from the spirit of the living God. You can have the desires. You can have the passions that drive you crazy. But if you're doing it in your own flesh, then you're no different than the foolish Galatians who begun in the spirit and now are going to perfect it in the flesh. It's not mystical. It is a moment by moment yielding to what God says. You know, now listen. God knows that we are simpletons. I don't want to make this complicated for you. God knew that. Why? He created us. He says, so I'm going to make this very, very simple. Read this book and pray while you're reading it. Well, but no, read this book and pray while you're reading it. Why? Because we confuse so easily. If you add another thing in there, oh, I'm going to fall over out of my stool. And sadly, it doesn't happen overnight. The process of spiritual exercise, somewhere as a Christian, you have to begin. You have to begin. Begin to say yes to the Spirit of the living God. The Word of God dwell in you richly. The truth is there so you can respond to it. That's the only way. If you ain't got the truth there, what are you going to respond to? I can tell you. Your flesh. Your flesh. Your will. The Spirit guides us to what is right. What am I supposed to do? We were looking at this this morning in Sunday school. 
The Spirit intercedes in our prayers because we don't even know how to pray sometimes or what to pray for. You will do what is right. You will strengthen your spiritual muscle. As it gets stronger, you will strengthen it more. You will strengthen it more. You will strengthen it more. And it grows and it grows and it grows. And each time it is strengthened more and more, then it becomes the flow of your life. It isn't a battle anymore. You begin to operate on a different power source. You respond automatically to it. Remember I used the illustration last week of driving a clutch? First time you ever drive a clutch? You make sure it's somebody else's car. Then once you get good at it, you don't even think about it. And then I told you, I said, I've got a, a big truck that's an automatic, and I'm always jamming on the brake trying to shift gears because my little truck is a stick. It's the same way with Christ. With Christ. I was told by a very wonderful person, a man who's had a great impact on my life and my spiritual growth, and I asked him one time, what is the definition of spiritual growth? Give me your definition of spiritual growth. So oh, that's easy. Okay, what is it? The decreasing frequency of sin? Did you hear that? The decreasing frequency of sin. The more you exercise your spiritual muscle, the more you will be yielded to God. The more the Spirit of God controls your life, the less sin there is. Okay, now please, I'm not saying, okay, there's never the absence of sin. But the frequency will disappear. It decreases. And it's amazing, actually. It's amazing. I could tell you some things about me that would cause your hairs to curl. And yet, all of those desires are gone. I don't even play with it. Why? I have other things I need to do. The more you grow, the more sin decreases. But I'll give you a footnote. The more you grow, your sin will decrease, but it also is worse when it does show up. You will sin. You will sin. But it will be worse on your conscience when it shows up, if you have a decreasing sin in your life. It, it's, uh, I, I, I've used this illustration before. I used to be in construction. Okay? And construction language is very <laughs> minimal. <laughs> okay? And, and it all, it's just construction. Okay? And I mean, and you use profanity just to, because it's hot or it's cold or something, whatever. You just use profanity. When I came to salvation, one of the first things that just hit me right, boom, is when I used profanity, it was like sticking my head in a 55-gallon barrel and saying it. It just rung like, oops. And then I started to learn new adjectives and new adverbs and things like that. And an occasional noun here and there. Okay? You know what? What's really nice is where you guys are sitting right now, you can start right where you are. You start absorbing the Word of God. You start saying yes to the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something. Yes, it is a struggle. But once you get so many feet into it, you start saying, whoa. Whoa. You will start realizing your anger is gone. You'll start realizing the things that you lust for are gone. You will start understanding your prayerlessness is now prayerfulness. You know what disappears? One of the things that just will shock you beyond belief? Worry. Worry vanishes. Worry vanishes. All of these that tempt us, instead of saying yes to these things, Say yes to what I know is right. Why do I have to worry? 
If God is in control of everything, if he knows the hairs of my head, if he knit me in my mother's womb, and he knows the moment that my faith will become sight, I should worry about what? That is exercising your spiritual muscle. And every time it gets just a little bit stronger, a little bit stronger. And with this exercise, you will end up like Paul. Now, here's the argument that I hear over and over and over again. And I love this argument because I have the answer. You can't be like Paul. Paul went into the Arabian desert and spent three years studying with Jesus. So how in the world could I ever be like Paul? That's easy. John's Gospel, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. What's the difference? Peter tells us that we will do greater things because we will do ours based on a faith that has not seen Christ where he had already seen Christ. Same God, same Holy Spirit, same resources, same power. Some have a will to exercise and some have a will to exercise as the Apostle Paul did. Paul got to a place that it didn't matter what happened to him. He was not concerned about the outer man. Acts chapter 20, Agabus comes up to him, takes his belt off, puts it around his feet. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem. He said, you will go in bondage. You will suffer. You go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest you and they're going to try to kill you. You know what he's, Paul's response was? None of these things move me. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. First, Second Corinthians chapter eleven, beginning at verse twenty-three. Eleven twenty-three. Paul gives a record of his ministry. This is what the daily ministry of the apostle Paul was. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as this insane. I far. Are more so. Far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from countrymen, and dangers from Gentiles, and dangers in the city, and dangers in the wilderness, and dangers in the sea, and dangers from false brethren. I've been in labor and in hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is my daily pressure on me and the concern for all the churches. Paul wasn't that concerned about the outer man. Verse 30 says, If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. It helped him keep his concentration on the inner man. Think about the times that you spend on a daily basis concerned about the outer man. Think about the times you spend concerned on the inner man. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. 
Listen, we get it on the outside. But Jesus is giving us it on the inside. Verse 16 of that text. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. You know what to call that? Fresh strength, moment by moment. The key is, what are you concentrating on? Are you concentrating on the inner man? Or are you concentrating on the outer man? You will never concentrate on the inner man until you turn the ignition on. Let me take you back to our text, Ephesians. Chapter 3. You will struggle with the Spirit. The Spirit at times is a kind of a pain. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask every one of you here. You're a believer here today. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says this. I want to ask you this question. Now, Paul's praying this. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. How are you doing with that? Far more abundantly than what we can ask or think. How are you doing with that? Are you living in it? I remember I told you I was last fall I was in, uh, I had been in Azerbaijan and then I had to go over to uh, Georgia and I was teaching the book of Roman and I started coughing on my way over and I knew what it was. Uh, but, you know, I kept telling myself, I don't want to listen to this junk. It's, and, and I knew I was developing pneumonia. And I could tell that it was getting dandy. Just, I, my first day there, uh, we were just kind of getting our bearings and all the rest of it, setting up the class and whatever. And I, I was hurting unit. And then that, that was on a Sunday and then, Monday morning, the class began. Sunday night, I, I probably didn't sleep more than 10, 15 minutes at a stretch when I'd wake up coughing. And I, I mean, it's one of those coughing that make you move in the bed. And I thought, how in the heck am I going to teach for eight or nine hours with this? And I said, Lord, you brought me here. I surely, there's something. And so I went to the class, and I was coughing. I was with a guy named Gia, who's the head of all the churches in Georgia, and 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 it was it was totally awesome. And the guy said, "Are you all right?" And, all right, you know. And I kept thinking, all right, "When am I going to start? When's the blood going to show up?" And all the rest of it, because it was that kind of cough. So I get in there and start teaching. As soon as I prayed, I'd teach. Not one cough to break. Then at break, I'd start coughing. I'd drink some water. Take a break for about 15 minutes. I start teaching again, stopped again. No coughing. Go to lunch. I'd cough during lunch. Go back to class, no coughing. I did that for six days. And this Russian doctor came up to me and he's, he had a stethoscope and all the rest of it. And I felt him moving his stethoscope around on my back and he's going here and here, here and here and here. And he did this for about five minutes. And if they're listening to your lungs for five minutes all over, you're like, that's dandy, eh? <laughs> and of course, he's Russian. I know a little Russian. And then he came and he sat there for like this for a second. And he says, and then he starts telling me what to do. He gave me some things that are like Zinthromax we have. But the Russians are better, and they only give you four instead of five because we have to have five. And that's what they said. And I'm saying, I don't care. 
And so anyway, I take these pills. He gives me some cough drops, and he tells me wine is the big thing in Georgia. So they boiled me this bucket of wine. I mean, that's what it seemed like. Now, you have to drink this all. And I mean, it was like a mug. It's like that mug you gave me. David, and he said, now drink this. We boiled the alcohol out of it and drink this to help you. And I was, damn it, because I'm going to drown. And, and so I drank it, uh, and, and I did sleep that night. I don't know whether it was the antibiotics or whatever, but then it dawned on me. God says, you know what? You ain't here doing this. I'm here doing this. And you better get your ducks in a row here, boy. Because this ain't you teaching Romans. This is me teaching these men, these leaders of these churches, Romans. I said, Amen. Amen. Because I know I couldn't have done There's no way I could have done five, six days. There no, wasn't any way possible I was going to make that. Exceedingly. Is there exceedingly abundantly things happening in you? If not, that's verse 20. You need to understand something. It's not happening because you haven't crossed verse 16. 16 says that He would grant to you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. You've got to cross that one before you get to verse 20. See what I mean? It's a progression. Daily habits. Think about your daily habits. I want everybody to think about it. This is how I start my day. What do you do? How do you start your day? Okay, think about it. Because I guarantee you, every one of you has similarities in what you do every day. And I've done it this way for as long as I can remember. And this is how I do it. How about a daily habit of yielding to the Holy Spirit? To obey what you know is right before God, saying yes to the Spirit of God. When you say yes to the Spirit of God, you will be renewed, you will be refreshed in your inner man. And it doesn't matter what is going on around you. The outer man is one day older. I had some people that I know that were celebrating their birthdays these last two weeks. And they said, they're telling me about it. They're young. Tell me about their birthdays. I said, I love celebrating other people's birthdays. They said, really? I said, yeah, I hate mine, but I love everybody else's because that means you're getting older. (laughs) The outer man is one day older, but you know what, brothers and sisters, the inner man is getting one day stronger. The closer and closer to God of our salvation is drawing near. The world grows dimmer as that draws closer. You ready for that? You have to do this first. Okay? So I'm going to close. I want to give you this thought. Challenge, I guess. I want you to take verse 16. See, I'm going to make this easy for you for now. So take verse 16. And I want this to be your prayer for you. I don't want you to pray for your husband, your friends. I I want this to be your prayer for you. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. Start that now. Do that every day. Start your day. I start my day off with this. Before I even roll out of bed, Father, let my hands be about Your work. Let my feet be on Your path. But now I've added this. I've been strengthened according to the riches of His glory, that I would be strengthened with might in the inner man by His Spirit. Now, if you got that down and you can do it pretty well, then you can pray the same thing for those you know.
This text excites me. In case you was wondering. I'm curious to see how it affects this congregation. Let's pray. Father, help us. Lord, help us. Help us to be filled with your spirit. That we would see exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could think or imagine fulfilled in each of us individually, but collectively as the body of Christ. Father, we would be strengthened with power, strengthened with might to your spirit. Father, according to your riches, what is the limit of the riches of God? Father, help each and every one of us. Help us to concentrate on the inner man, the strengthening of the inner man, to your glory, to your praise. Help us, Father. Help us to flesh this out as we begin with step one, the Spirit's power in the believers in light of the resources that we possess in Christ Jesus. Amen.